Welcome to episode 5 of the flagship podcast of Fansided's Call to the Pen. You can find this podcast as well as all the great content our contributors put out at calltothepen.com. I am your host and Fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices. As I always do whenever we meet, I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience. New episodes are scheduled for Mondays and Wednesdays, weather permitting. We have a lot to get to today. Monday, August 14th, we will be getting to Bryce Harper's bone bruise. No, not on that bone. And what it means for the Nationals going forward and even for Harper's chances at a half a billion dollar contract. The Astros also finally made a trade to satisfy the frustrated stars looking for some help. And that topic will dovetail nicely with something we always do which is what is hot and happening at calltothepen.com, including some very pointed words from Astros outfielder Josh Reddick, as well as the prospects of trading Mike Trout. That's right. We're going to talk about that because people are angry. Somebody wrote about it. Now people are angry about it. And we're going to talk about it right here on Call to the Pen's flagship podcast. But first, scoreboard. Scoreboard! 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 Hey, Joaquin, I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. Were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right, well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. We're going to finish fast. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful. Man, I want a Paulus Hester to narrate my life for me. That'd be great. Or just to, like a life coach deal, like a life coach setup. Just to make sure that I don't feel down about myself and who I am as a person. Anyway, the Bo Sox needed 10 innings to dispatch the Yankees 3-2. Red Sox starter Chris Sale went 7 innings, giving up 4 hits and 1 run while striking while walking 2 and striking out 12. Excuse me. Sox prospect Raphael Devers hit his 4th homer of the season, a 423-foot bomb. He now has an OPS of 977 through his first 15 major league games. The Dodgers beat the Padres 6-4 to on the back of another solid start by Kenta Maeda. The Dodgers are now 83-34, maintaining a 709 winning percentage and an 18-game lead in the NL West. My God. The Angels beat the Mariners 4-2, and with the win, Seattle closes to the Angels' lead, closes the Angels' lead for the second wildcard spot in the AL to two games. The Cubs took sole possession of first place in the NL Central with a 7-2 win over the D-backs on Sunday in Arizona. Javier Baez, Ian Happ, and Chris Bryant all went yard for the Cubbies. They are now a full game ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals in the divisional race. The Athletics beat the Orioles 9-3 in Oakland. If anybody cares about that, I certainly don't. The Astros edged out the Rangers 2-1 in Arlington. Dallas Keuchel went 6-2, giving up one run across six hits and three walks while striking out seven. 
The Braves played spoiler for the Cardinals in St. Louis, emerging with a 6-3 victory on a day the Cards needed a win to keep within a half game of the division-leading Cubs. The Royals trounced the White Sox 14-6 on Chicago's south side. This loss a welcome one after the Sox reeled off four improbable wins in a row, three coming against the visiting Astros. They are still on pace to pick number two overall in the 2018 draft, so do not worry. The Brewers showed their not dead in the NL Central as they beat the Reds 7-4 at home. They sit just two games back of the division-leading Cubs. The Mets beat the Phillies 6-2 at Citizens Bank Ballpark. Uh, Michael Conforto and Curtis Granderson both went yard for the Mets. The Twins beat the Tigers 6-4 in Detroit, keeping their playoff hopes alive as they closed the chase for the second wildcard spot to just half a game. They are also presently four and a half back of the Indians. The Marlins beat the Rockies 5-3. Giancarlo Stanton hit his 40 second home run of the season. The Indians beat the Rays 4-3 in Tampa, maintaining their divisional lead. Corey Kluber delighted again, going seven innings while giving up three runs across four hits and two walks while striking out nine. The Pirates lost to the Blue Jays 7-1 in Toronto, though their divisional hopes are still alive. They sit just four games back. It was time for a double dip in the nation's capital on Sunday as the Nats and Giants went for two games. The Giants took the day part 4-2 to two in what was the Nationals' first game without injured outfielder Bryce Harper. Uh, more on that in a bit. But the Nats were walk-off heroes in the nightcap 6-2 to two with the power of a Howie Kendrick walk-off Grand Slam. How many walk-off Grand Slams is that this year? It's got to be like 40 already, right? Seems like it happens every other week somebody hits a walk-off Grand Slam. Way too many Grand Slams happening in Major League Baseball right now. It used to be just a, a fun little treat. Like once a month, you'd see somebody hit a grand slam and it was insane, and everybody went nuts. And you'd see it on Sports Center or whatever clip show you like to watch. And, oh, grand slam! But now people are a walk off. First of all, walk off hit is improbable. A walk off home run, even more so. And a walk off grand slam should be the most improbable thing. But it seems to be happening more and more and more and more in baseball. Anyway, that's what happened in MLB action yesterday, and this has been your scoreboard on the Call to the Pen podcast. Now on to Bryce Harper. We talked about it. As mentioned in the scoreboard, Bryce Harper suffered a nasty-looking knee injury on Saturday night. It was ghastly. Appearing to hyperextend his knee after his foot slid off of first base as, as he was trying to beat out a ground ball. The injury looked gruesome. Not, you know, don't get don't get it twisted. Not like bones sticking out of skin after running into a basket stanchion gruesome. But from the looks of the replays, most were assured something had snapped or torn in, in, in Harper's knee. It, it must have happened. I, I mean, you saw what happened to Bryce Harper. You saw it slip. And the extension and the, yeah, and it just, the knee is not supposed to bend that way. I watched the replay once, not knowing what happened. They said, oh, Bryce Harper was injured trying to beat out, trying to beat out an infield single or what was, I believe, an infield single. It was like into the shift or the first baseman was playing deep into the corner, hugging the line. Um, and I thought I expected ankle. And normally, I don't even do too well with ankle injuries. When I see somebody roll an ankle, especially like if it's a devastating roll of an ankle, I just I get the creepy crawlies on my skin, man. I can't do it. I cannot do it. Watch, I cannot watch somebody hurt their ankle pretty terribly. If it if it happens on the screen, I go, uh, 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 uh. 
And I was expecting that. I was stealing my mind for a particular gruesome ankle injury. And the thing I don't like to do is watch the ankle roll. I don't like to do it. So what I do is I watch like above the ankle and I can see the knee flex out and I go up. Okay. Roll an ankle. I don't need to see like the foot, actually the, the sole of the foot pointing 90 degrees in a way it shouldn't point. I don't need to see that. I don't want to see it and expecting a gruesome ankle injury. That's what I look for. So I was looking right at his knee when it hyperextended. I was looking right at it, and oh, man, was it awful. However, somehow, nothing snapped, nothing chipped, nothing tore. Nationals GM Mike Rizzo revealed that Harper had suffered only, only, by the way, only, a significant bone bruise on the inner portion of his knee after after hyperextending it, which we all saw on television, and that an MRI revealed no ligament damage or tearing. According to the Washington Post, Harper insisted on walking into the clubhouse after being helped off of the field and was later observed jumping up and down to test stability and also, quote, uh, some ice skating stuff. I, I don't know. Was he, was he doing a double axle? You know? Do you do you test out a knee trying to do the double axle? I mean, in our head, we're all thinking of like the the flexing or like the you know the the knee the deep knee bends almost. But I choose to think that Bryce Harper was in the clubhouse trying to do like a double axle uh, to test out the knee. Like, oh, I gotta see if this thing is still stable. All right, let's just you know start running, do the gather, then oh, double axle. Oh man, a six point five from the East German judge, you bastards. That's a joke many of you probably don't get. You see, uh, in the Cold War, uh, we both, you know, USSR and the and the rest of NATO countries both had a claim uh, on on Germany and 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 Russia or the USSR won out, but Berlin was this small little bastion of capitalism among the larger. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Um, well, it's great. Okay, it's great. And and on Sunday, Harper was seen walking around without the aid of crutches. And Harper said that uh, uh, specifically, there's a quote in, the, in a Washington Post piece that says he felt a little soreness, but nothing that he hasn't felt before, which is good. I mean, just in terms of okay, you got nothing broken, nothing torn, and it's a level of pain that you have experienced before, which I'm sure isn't pleasant. Of course, no knee pain is pleasant. Nobody goes, ah, oh, this knee pain is great. But if it's something, if you, if he is uh, used to feeling that pain, he knows how, he knows one how far he can push himself, and two, maybe he can understand and and play through a little bit of that pain. I'm not talking about right now. I'm not talking about tomorrow or today. I'm talking about. Let's say if in two or three weeks, if it's still hurting, but he wants to come back and get right, maybe he knows how to deal with what will hopefully be a little bit reduced uh, amount of pain. But but here's the thing. While it's great that one of baseball's best players on one of baseball's best teams isn't going to be sidelined until next year, which would, of course, be the case if something had snapped or torn or perhaps even sprained. If you get a decent knee sprain as an outfielder, as could have very easily been the case, right? We all see the injury. But I'm beginning to wonder if Harper's exuberance in playing baseball, his intensity, his tenacity, might be something to consider for general managers clearing the decks to award Harper perhaps a cool half billion dollars when he enters free agency after next season. 
Okay? After playing fewer than 150 total games in the minor leagues since being drafted, Harper has only played in 150 or more games in a full major league season once. He's only done it once. And that was in 2015 when he notched an FWAR of 9.5 and won the league's most valuable player award. In every other of his five major league seasons, this this includes 2017, Harper has played 139 games, 118, 100, 147, and now 106 as he enters what could be and is probably an extended DL stint. I don't know where he's going to end up. He's at 106 now. Let's figure it's it's August 14th. Season wraps up at the end of September. Figure, let's say September 1, he's on the field. September 1, he's back. I, I'm assuming that's pretty favorable. The season wraps up. Let's see. Now i got to go. Uh, <clears throat> the, the season wraps up. I want to say... I don't know off the top of my head. This is this is going to be something people are upset about. How do you not know when the season wraps up? Okay, see, uh, August. Okay, so the the Nationals are playing game one thirty three on September first, one thirty three. So that leaves twenty nine games. Twenty nine games for Harper to play in to appear in. You know, assuming he gets another complement of days off as his as his is regular. Of course, you got to rest guys, especially with the big ass divisional lead that you have. With the big ass divisional lead that the Nats have, you don't need to play Harper every day down the stretch. But even if he's back September one, which is a generous, I mean, we're talking he misses one seventeen through one thirty one thirty two. We're talking he misses fifteen games. That's about two weeks. So 133 to 162. Excuse me, this is 161. Oh, because they missed a game and they already played it. Okay, so 28 games in which Harper can appear. That brings his total, his 2017 total, to 134. Again, below the 150 games, which is about what you would expect given normal time off. You know, some guys get Sundays off. Sometimes guys get Sundays on a road trip off or they get um, they get getaway days off after a non-divisional opponent or whatever. A normal, not every guy is Cal Ripken. Not every player is the Iron Man and is going to be able to appear and even start in 162 games. And 150 games is about where you place that cutoff. And Bryce Harper has only done that once. Every other season, he's missed out. Now, you want to include 147, maybe I'll grant you a three-game fudge factor of three three games. That's still, that's still only twice in his six-season career, six-MLB season career, only twice has he been within the fudge factor of a full, full season. Doctors attributed Harper's youth and flexibility to avoiding avoiding serious bone or ligament damage in this most recent freakish injury. I'll, I'll grant you it's freakish. I'll grant you it's happenstance. This isn't Bryce Harper being crazy. This isn't Bryce Harper doing something stupid. It's freakish. It happens, but it still happened. But if you're a general manager, let me ask you this. If you're a general manager, 
considering committing a half a billion dollars to Bryce Harper for 10 years, anywhere from 400 to $500 million is what people are talking about for Bryce Harper's free agent contract come the winter of 2018. That winter is coming. Huh? See, that's two. That's two. That's two references in, I want to say, three shows. I think I did. I think there was an intervening show where I didn't make a reference, and I just made another one. I'll let you figure out what it is about. But if you're general manager, again, 400 to $500 million. $500 million is a half a billion dollars, and you're going to commit it, and it's committed. If you sign that damn contract, it's committed. There's very, very, very little funny money in baseball contracts. We, uh, we need to look no further than Pablo Sandoval. Look no further than Pablo Sandoval for the lack of funny money in MLB contracts. Not like the NBA when you're talking about uh, the NBA, even those contracts are, are pretty well uh, guaranteed. The funny money is more for those endorsement deals. You know, you talk about Derrick Rose had a quarter billion dollar endorsement deal from Adidas, but that was if he hit all the benchmarks, all the markers he needed to make all that money. There's a lot of funny money going around in NBA sponsorship deals. Also, there's a lot of funny money going around in the NFL. The NFL is funny money. Here in Chicago, it, it, why is Mike? Why did Mike Lennon get $30 million? Well, he didn't. He's got $14 million guaranteed. It is essentially, essentially a one-year deal that Mike Lennon got at $14 million, which is what you're going to pay on the open market for a yeah, QB. I mean, Jay Cutler got $10 million for the love of God, and he was sitting on a couch or naked in Fiji or something. That's what you're going to pay. The rest of that the rest of that money is just uh, if it hits, opt-in, opt-in, if this option is picked up, if you hit this qualifier, if you hit that. But in baseball, the number you see is pretty much the number you're going to get. Guys may have incentives on MVPs, all-star, this or that, but huge salary figures are not contingent on on-field play, way more often than not, than they are in the NFL. So if you see $400 million attached to Bryce Harper, if you see half a billion dollars committed to Bryce Harper over any amount of time, about half a billion dollars is going to get paid out. That's guaranteed. You are on the hook unless you can, unless he gets injured and you have insurance to cover the difference or whatever. But if you're going to consider, if you were even considering committing half a billion dollars to Bryce Harper for 10 years, wouldn't you like to know you're going to get more than a thousand games out of him over 10 years? going to give the guy half a billion dollars? Don't you want more than 120 games a year out of him? Don't you want, hey, Bryce, you know, it'd be great if you could show up for like, I don't know, 149. Could we average that? Could we try to get you to average 149 games a season so that I can try to recoup a little bit of this money I'm paying you? Because again, given his performance, and I wrote a column about this earlier in the year for Fansided on Call to the Pen. $40 $40 million is not unheard of for Bryce Harper. $50 million a year, not unheard of. But there's the practical, what do teams pay for performance? And then there's the practical, what do teams recoup from people coming to see the high-priced guy that they're paying? Because, sure, winning people show up to see winning teams. That's a truism throughout I think, throughout all of professional sports. 
But if you sign Bryce Harper, that's not a guarantee that you're going to be in the LCS every year. So you need to know that if and, if and when your team comes to suck for any extended period of time, are people going to still show up to watch Bryce Harper? And is it going to be conceivable that if the team sucks and Harper's only playing 119 games a season for you and putting up five FWAR seasons, all-star caliber stuff, but he's only appearing in 68, 70 home games a year, you're missing out on anywhere from 20 to 15 to 20 home games of Bryce Harper because he's on the DL, that might not be worth it. That might not be worth it for Bryce Harper. It really might not. Because, yeah, the winning is nice. Yeah, the wins above replacement is nice. But wins above replacement is not dollars in a bank account. Ticket sales. Ticket sales are dollars in bank accounts. And what's more, here's the thing about Bryce Harper. Said at the top, doctors attributed Harper's youth and flexibility. They say, oh, you know what, Bryce, you're you're 24 years old, I think. (laughs) Got to pull that up. Somebody got mad at me. Because um, I said uh, Justin Verlander was 36. He got really angry at me. Really angry. Do your research! He's 24 in nine months. All right, Bryce, you know, you're a 24-year-old man. If you were 30, your knee might have snapped in like a bajillion places. So his youth and flexibility are in part what are, what is going to allow him to recover quickly from this injury. Not only is it not a completely devastating injury, he's probably going to recover from it pretty quickly. But what are two things that tend to atrophy in an aging athlete? Could they be flexibility and recovery time? Could it be that those are two things? The two things that have allowed Bryce Harper, even still with all these injuries, even still to play in 130, 120, 119 games and put up five war seasons still, four and a half, five wins above replacement, could it be that when you give him a 10-year contract at 26 years old, in year three or four of that deal, he starts not being able to recover as quickly? Or it could be day one. It could be that day one of Bryce Harper's free agent contract that he is not able to to recover, not able to stave off devastating injury as well as he is now. And that's something that you have to consider, again, when pondering giving him half a billion dollars. Because yes, yes, Harper's rate metrics are absolutely incredible. And he is still putting up all-star caliber performances, despite, in some cases, appearing in a total number of games in a season akin to that of a bench or platoon player. Think about it. In some of the games, some of the game totals, 139. You'd see that from a from a uh, excuse me from a platoon player platoon player try that again platoon player 118 that's a bench player if you're appearing in 118 games you're a bench player you're getting you're getting pinch hit you're getting hit pinch hit appearances you're spelling guys somebody gets hurt you get a little bit of an extended playing time here and there but that's a backup that's a backup bench player is 118 games but as we've seen what Harper is capable of in a full complement of games. 
in that 2015 season, his WMVP season, it was a top 30 season in the integration era in terms of baseball reference wins above replacement. What Bryce Harper did in his only, if we're going to go back to the 150 cutoff mark, in his only full-time complement of games, Bryce Harper put up a top 30 season of all time since the game was integrated. Outside of that, though, outside of that, which is great, we know what he can do, his seasonal wins above replacement figures have peaked at 4.6, his rookie season. And this season seems to be on track to set the high water mark outside of his rookie season somewhere a little bit above five. And that is a practical consideration when you're talking about Bryce Harper's pending free agency. Because, yes, that 2015 was one of the best, literally, one of the best baseball seasons we have seen from a player in a long, long time. In the entire history of the game, it's one of the best. And don't you know? Don't get it twisted. Baseball players play a lot of seasons, and it was still top thirty. But outside of that, sure, five WAR is nice. Is five wins above replacement forty? You know, if you're paying, will you take a baseline of four wins above replacement, hoping? That once in a while, let's say twice throughout the lifetime of the contract, at least twice throughout the lifetime of the contract, Harper can put together a full complement of games and put up a near 10 wins above replacement season. Might that be, might that be worth it? Maybe. But it behooves baseball general managers to not be wooed by 2015 and to be cognizant of the fact that Bryce Harper misses a lot of games. And if you're going to commit half a billion dollars to him, you better be sure that you are going to get covered on the back end. All right. It's time for What's Hot on CallToThePen.com. This is the section of the show where to close out the episode, we send you on your way to some of the great content currently featured on Fansided's Call to the Pen. Call to the Pen contributor Brendan DeLab... Labala, Jilabala. I'm sorry, Brendan. I'm sorry. Couldn't get a pronunciation from you. I'll I'll ask next time. Has a column with some very interesting quotes from a Houston Astros player on the team's moves at the non-waiver trade deadline and on the waiver market since. In his piece, Brendan highlights how the Astros, despite being one of the best teams in baseball, despite being the one of the best teams in baseball who would assuredly be classified as buyers at the deadline in any other by anybody else, any other team, buyers at the deadline. If you're one of the best teams in baseball at the deadline, you're looking to buy. You're looking to add to your squad. You're looking to augment places in which you are deficient. But at the deadline, they didn't do much of anything to augment much of anything else on their team. The batting lineup wasn't augmented. Nor was, the, nor was there a bench player added. They didn't add a significant starter, nor did they add a dominant bullpen arm. In fact, the arm they did add, one of the arms, because we're about to get to the other arm they added, the arm they did add is an aging starter whom the team hopes can eat up relief innings. Uh, yeah, we'll just throw you at the back end of the bullpen there and 
hopefully you can take some of the pressure off some of our other guys. But here is Josh Reddick on MLB Network Radio. Brendan's piece goes into more detail, uh, and it is linked in this podcast post, so please click on it. Go check it out. Right-click. Go check it out. Quote, this is Josh Reddick, MLB Network Radio. I think deep down, everybody in that clubhouse knew we were going to make some moves to make us a really great team to a team that put us over the edge, especially with all the moves you see moving around the league. It's nothing against our guys. We're a great team. But any time you can make your team better, you feel like you should have the opportunity to do that and take full advantage. I think deep down, we all were. I don't know if you want to say disappointed or upset. I guess we were just kind of down in the dumps because we feel like we had a pretty good shot at getting somebody to help this team get over that hump to where it needed to be, end quote. I guess to obeyed Reddick's worries, Astros GM Jeff Lunau, or Lunau, Work the waiver market for Tyler Clippard. Hello, I'm Tyler Clippard, a 32-year-old reliever who hasn't posted a sub-four fielding in independent pitching since 2014. Hello. That's what the Astros did. If you're an Astros player, are you still pissed? I would be. In a, in a market that saw... Sonny Gray on the move, that saw Jose Quintana on the move, that saw perhaps Chris Archer available. And on the lower rungs of the market, Justin Verlander. You saw Todd Frazier available. Melky Cabrera available. You saw all these guys, all these guys able to be had at the right price. Some some was a literal price. Some was, hey, how much of this contract are you willing to eat? So on David Robertson. You want to talk about a team that needs bullpen help? Adding David Robertson is one way to do that, is one way to help out your bullpen. Move him out of the closers role or into the closers role, wherever you need, and he will augment. Again, it's not... We need to dispense with this idea that you go out and get the best player for your team, best player on your team, at the deadline. That rarely, if ever, happens. That would be a blockbuster deal. That would be like going out and getting Mike Trout for a playoff run. We'll talk about more, more about Mike Trout in a little bit. But we need to dispense with the, this idea that the guy you're going out to get at the deadline is going to be the best player on your team. Of course, David Robertson is, isn't the best reliever in baseball. But you go out and you pay a little bit for an asset that is eh, a little bit undervalued, maybe. Maybe a change of scenery. Help you out. Help him out. Help him find his whatever, his stroke, his stride, his his arm slot, his grip. They didn't do any of that. So if you're an Astros player and you think, okay, I see all these teams, I see the Yankees going out to get better. I see the Cubs going out to get better. I see, again, the, the AL West is, is yours for the taking. But you see all these teams, and all, the, all these teams looking to get better, and all these other teams looking to trade assets to make them better, and you got nothing. I might be a little pissed, but here's the counter to that point. What are they really supposed to do? 
They're top three in the AL for for weighted runs created plus for every single non-pitcher defensive position. Every single one. The Astros are top three in the AL in weighted runs created plus. Every single one. And they are leading second base shortstop, I want to say left field, and I believe center field. They're leading the AL in weighted weighted runs created plus contributed from that position. It's it's really hard to get better from that. It's really hard. You're not going to go out and find a guy to put you at number one at every single position. It's just not going to happen. Their starters are third in the AL in overall team fielding independent pitching, second overall in expected fielding independent pitching. Meaning, they've been a little bit unlucky. Maybe playing their home games with that short porch, that really short porch in left field, doesn't help much. But still, third in the AL, in overall FIP, second in XFIP, their relievers are in the top four of the AL in fielding independent pitching and relief. The only thing keeping them down, the relievers that is, is a middle-of-the-pack ranking in left-on-base percentage. That means runners that they inherit or runners that they let on, uh, they they don't leave all of them on base. They don't come in and shut it down and get out of the inning. Guys that are getting on base are scoring more often than for other teams in the league. Last I looked, they were about eighth in reliever left on base percentage. Which, okay. All right. That tells me you need to go out and get yourself a lights-out reliever. Or as close to lights-out as you can get. That is not, that is not Tyler Clippard. But other than that, other than that, there's really, there's really not much that could be done. Not much that could be added to make them, to, to, to take them from one of the best teams in baseball to the best team in baseball. All right. Elsewhere on Call to the Pen, oh boy, (laughs) I saved this to the end because I know people are going to get pissed off. It's also called a tease. Look it up. Elsewhere on Call to the Pen is an interesting and perhaps angering statement from contributor Evan Marinovsky. Evan believes the Angels should trade Mike Trout and has lined up some destinations for the 26-year-old slugger. Evan's piece will stand on its own. And it is linked in this podcast post. I encourage you, even if, and even especially if you disagree with his premise, I encourage you to read it all the way through to let him make his points, let him make his arguments, and then respond to him, not me. Respond to Evan, not me. That being said, as somebody who's often wondered why Mike Trout would still be around, I'm talking about on the Angels, after the team made exactly one playoff appearance, which was a loss in the LDS, since Trout burst on the scene in 2012. The key to understanding a Mike Trout trade, just as it was key for people to understand in the Chris Sale trade, is that there is no such thing as comparable value. We hear that a lot. Heard it a lot when talking about trading Chris Sale. 
oh, well, the White Sox need to get, they need to get return value. They need to get comparable value in return for Chris Sale. And I don't know that you can get comparable value, and so they shouldn't trade him. The idea being, for most pundits, is that you need to get in you need to get production from your trade from your trade booty comparable to what you traded away you need to get guys that are producing collectively at the level of what you traded away to get comparable value but that's not what happens that rarely that rarely if ever happens in baseball I mean, because again, that would be a blockbuster star for star trade. That's what would have to happen. Star for star or star for breakout rookie plus. The Andrew Benintendi's of the world, the Aaron Judges of the world. And I would argue I would argue Aaron Judge is at star level at this point. But that rarely happens. The White Sox didn't get back Chris Sale in return for Chris Sale. That was never gonna happen. The Angels aren't going to get Mike Trout in return for Mike Trout. Okay, this is the hypothetical world in which the Angels want to trade Mike Trout, in which they aren't the current holders of the second AL wildcard spot. Okay, because, yes, if the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. With Mike Trout appearing in fewer than 100 games thus far this season. Since we last did a show, I want to say it's probably fewer than 75 Probably fewer than 75 games. If the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. But the season doesn't end today. The season ends. I have it here. They play. Excuse me. They play the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Greater California, Los Angeles County. They play game 162 on October 1st. It's a Sunday. They're taking on the Mariners. Could be actually a pretty good matchup the way that uh, that wild card race is shaking out. So this the season ends. I mean, it's it's August fourteenth. You got a ways to go before the season ends. So the season hasn't ended yet. Yes, they are in the playoff position right now. They have been in the playoff race, which is good. But we're talking about this hypothetical situation. They're not even going to get a 20-year-old Mike Trout in return for a 26-year-old Mike Trout. On top of wondering who would ever do that in the first place. But what Mike Trout was at 20, they're not getting that back. It's just not going to happen. Trading a huge asset like Trout, or Chris Sale, or Giancarlo Stanton, or Joey Votto, all these guys that everybody talks about, why why are they on these teams that aren't making the playoffs? Why for so long did Chris Sale pitch at a level as one of the best pitchers in baseball for a team that never made the playoffs? Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Votto, same thing. Great players who have the minimum number of playoff appearances. In some cases, zero playoff appearances. I think it's zero for both. And you have to wonder, why are these guys still on these teams? Why don't these teams, because it's not good for the player, the player wants to perform well. In Joey Votto's case, that may not be exactly true. 
But the player wants to perform well and to be on a winning team. They want a chance to win championships. That's what a lot of players want. Doesn't get to happen for a lot of them, but for the really good players, they would like to be playing for championships. And it would be good for the organization, too, because you have this really, really good player with whom you're not winning championships. Why don't you trade him away to somebody who can win a championship with him in exchange for more guys who then might come together to make you a championship contender? And that's the key here. It's not about getting a carbon copy of that player's value in return. It's about taking the value that is wrapped up in that single player, in this case Mike Trout, and turning it into a few more different rolls of the dice at other positions on the field. The goal of any trade, any big blockbuster trade, including and especially a Mike Trout trade, isn't to return just Mike Trout. It's to return guys, or kids really, who might turn into Sale, Stanton, Votto, and Mike Trout. They might, they might not, but it's about taking the value wrapped up and getting a few more rolls of the dice because you only get a few. Given your budget, given your budget for player salary, your budget for international drafts or uh, international player free agent signings, and given your draft picks and resultant budget for slotting and, and signing of, of draft picks. Given all that, you only have a certain number of rolls of the die or dice. You know, you can divvy up your player budget and say, okay, we have like three spots that we can fill with free agents. And then, all right, we can go gangbusters and try to spend as much as we can in our slot here in the international free agent pool and try to get us a star there. And then we can overdraft our we can overspend our slot in the draft to try to reach for a guy who we think has a super high ceiling and we can entice him to sign with us instead of going to college or returning to college or whatever. All total there, you're talking about 5 to 10 rolls of the dice that you're going to get somebody there who is going to be a a plus plus contributor to your baseball team at any point in their career. And so trading Mike Trout, trading Mike Trout as Evan Marinovsky advocates, isn't about getting back Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa or Manny Machado or Chris Archer or anything like that. It's about getting more rolls of the dice. It's about adding to the number of dice rolls that you get and maybe, maybe through, good, through efficient scouting, overspending when it's, when it's proper in your draft or international free agent pool money, maybe you can turn Mike Trout into hmm, Mike Trout light at a few different other positions. All right, that'll wrap up. Again, you can go check out all these pieces. Sorry, uh, you can check out all these pieces, including uh, Evan's piece on trading Mike Trout and where he can end up, why the Angels should trade him. I contend that given this, I would say last year wasn't a bad idea. Last year, 
trading Mike Trout was not a bad idea. Not a totally crazy, harebrained idea. This year, in the midst of a playoff run, after you get Mike Trout back from a thumb injury and he's having one of the best seasons in baseball, it gets a little bit more harebrained. But if they don't make the playoffs this season, if for whatever reason they fall out of the wild card race, if they don't make it this year, I think we're back to talking about why is Mike Trout still on the the Angels. Because you've shown that you can't you can't build around him the way other teams can. Your timetables aren't right, your drafting isn't right, whatever. But you haven't been able to build around Mike Trout the way you should. The way other teams can. The way the Nationals have built around Bryce Harper. The way the Nationals have built around Steven Strasburg. You haven't done that with Mike Trout, and you arguably should have. It may be time to trade in Mike Trout for another few rolls of the dice. All these pieces are linked on calltothepen.com, and you can find them in this post, the post of this podcast on calltothepen.com. All you need to do is go to calltothepen.com and search podcast. That'll wrap up this episode of the flagship podcast of Call to the Pen. Be sure to visit calltothepen.com every single day for great content from all of our contributors. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a beat. New episodes are scheduled for Monday and Wednesday, weather permitting. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.